Are you looking for true personal freedom? The freedom to design the life you truly desire? Then you're absolutely in the right place. True personal freedom comes from when you take 100% responsibility and control of your money and your mind. Here, you're going to learn ideas, tips, and wisdom that's gonna help you bridge the gap from where you are now to your dream life in the future. My name is Randy Wilson, and welcome to the Rich Mind Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Rich Mind Podcast. And today, super excited about the conversation we're getting ready to have with Chris Chickering. Uh, we were just chatting before we hit record here, and the amount of content, the amount of questions and stories, and just it's going to be a fun conversation. We met a few months ago at a Kyle Wilson Inner Circle meeting, and yeah. we just hit it off. We just had a really good time. And so I just knew that if we could, if I could get him here on the podcast, I just know that I could pepper him with questions. He could go into different stories. I just knew it would be a fantastic conversation. So a little bit about Chris. He's from Santa Fe, New Mexico. He is a solution-focused therapist, and we'll get into exactly what that is and how he helps his clients. He's a uh, award-winning recording artist, and if you're watching this on video, I actually have one of his, it's a signed copy of his album, Shine, and I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about his uh, recording uh, as far as the music that he does as well. He is a multiple best-selling author. He's a speaker and a trainer and a social entrepreneur. And we'll get into maybe what that exactly means as well. But he's super passionate about helping people break through barriers and fulfill their potential, which I just love that. I got that off of your bio page, off your homepage on your website. And I just love that, Chris. So dude, just, I'm so glad you're willing to come on the show. This is gonna be so much fun. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. It's just great to see you again. Yeah, it's been a few months, right? But at the same time, yeah, it's almost like we just pick up right where we left off when we were at that meeting. So it's super cool. That's right. I remember I remember how we met. I walked into that restaurant the night before and uh, you were seated with somebody and I was like, she looks familiar. And then the next thing I know, we were we were sitting at that table having a great time. Yeah. So as we've seen each other virtually, right? So this was through the Zoom life as far as going to meetings and things virtually uh, through Zoom, a lot of times through the COVID era. So we had seen each other then a lot, but at the same time, yeah, to see you, see you in person that first time, that was that was super fun. It's like as soon as I saw you, it was like, yeah, I know that guy. So it's always yeah, super yeah. cool to get, get to, to meet somebody face to face. So take a couple minutes and just I kind of the high level bullet points I kind of went through. Maybe just go through a couple of minutes. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Have everybody get to know you a little bit, a little bit more. Sure. Um, I was raised in San Francisco, fourth generation San Franciscan and lived away from home since I was 13. Uh, from the time I graduated college till I was about 35, I had literally no less than 20 jobs and I'd lived in 11 different states. So this was a time of, you know, it was a lot of excitement, it was a lot of adventure, but there's also a lot of sort of anxiety at times and insecurity about you know, who I was, and where do I fit into this crazy world? And I just, and I had this deep drive to, I wanna do something with my life that's meaningful, that you know, it's lucrative, that sets my soul on fire. And I just kept changing it and changing it and changing it. And in two, uh, 2005, I moved to Santa Fe, my dream city. I knew one person when I lived here and uh, kind of, luck and hard work intersected and I became the vice president of business development 
for a personal growth company in Minnesota called Learning Strategies. They had been around for 25 years at all these personal growth programs. And from there, I learned joint venture and affiliate marketing. I didn't even know what that was, but it was it just perfectly suited my passions and skills and background in sales. Spent a few years with learning strategies. I started my own um, affiliate marketing company. It's called Guru Authority, and it, it was really just myself and my dog. No business cards, no websites. Uh, connecting with A-list, helping A-list speakers and authors uh, and content creators expand their profits and reach through uh, lucrative joint venture partnerships. And it was awesome. Like this was the first time in my life I'd made six figures. I'd spent so many times, so many years struggling. I used to be a, an EMT firefighter in my early 20s. I'd get paid $4.63 an hour to drive um, old and insane people from their nursing home to the hospital. You know, it's just like I had been through some, some shit along the way. And, and so I, when I finally, I guess, broke free, uh, bro broke through rather financially to a certain degree, I just, it was so amazing. And, um, you know, I was able to you know, pay off all my bills and, and just sort of upgrade a lot of things and create some security. And um, it was just so awesome. I got to work with so many amazing people like, you know, Brian Tracy, Bob Proctor, Kyle Wilson, the list over a hundred uh, speakers and authors. And it was, um, it was so amazing. And, but they, there was this little voice that said, you know, Chris, this is the, the difference between a means goal and an end goal. It was like this little voice said, Chris, you know, this is cool, but this is like a means to an end. This is not your end. And then that little voice said, and if you're doing this in 20 years, you're going to be, or maybe even 10 more years, you're going to be miserable. I just noticed this voice. And this other voice was like, that's nice. You just sit tight, pal, because we're highly doing well, financially speaking. But as the years went on um, and I got more, I got more and more um, fatigued by having the same conversation over and over, that little voice got louder and louder. In our, in our typal psychology, this little voice is called the wanderer. It's in the wanderer. It's this internal archetype. And the gift the wanderer gives you is it, it asks the question, what do I really want? What's really important to me? So it helps you live a more authentic life. It helps you recalibrate your life when today's dream becomes tomorrow's nightmare. And that is exactly what happened. It got to the point where I just couldn't do that anymore. And, um, I'm going to sort of speed it up because you, you know, take a couple minutes and I can, I'm going on, but uh, no, I'll go on. You keep going. No, this is great. I want to get to other things in this conversation. But when I was younger, I never allowed, gave myself the permission to do a lot of the things I really wanted to do. You know, I've always kind of had an artistic soul. I did a lot of sleight of hand magic shows as a kid, even in my mid twenties. And this little voice is like, you can't do that. It was a real judgmental voice. When I was 32, I moved to LA to be an actor. And I had a lot of, I was writing a one man play and I was having a lot of very brutal people be very complimentary about what I was doing. But, you know, I, I did, number one, I didn't want to 
be living in a 300 square foot apartment trying to chase the, um, you know, be one of a million sperm trying to get into the egg of Hollywood success. I did. I didn't like the lack of control, but once again, that voice probably even said, you can't do this. This is foolish. And so finally then, I don't know, like fast forward, like 10 years later, you know, five to 10 years later, this little voice that was sick of this business I'd created. Um, you know, I'd always love singing cover songs and things for, you know, always pictures of me in high school. I'd always had my guitar, but I was always too afraid to write songs because this little voice inside of me said, you can't do that. And so finally, this was about 13 years ago, I, I'd written two songs and I just thought to myself, Chris, you got to allow yourself to push forward one of your creative loves or you're going to, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, you're going to feel like you missed, like you missed life. And so I found a music producer, didn't even know what one was. I was called a friend who'd done, you know, I was like, who's a person who could help me take this, this song and produce it, you know, get it done, you know, producer. Oh, wow. That's cool. So I got a song produced. It was so much fun. I got my second song. I got my other song produced, the other one that I wrote. And I got that one produced. It was so much fun. I liked the way it sounded. And uh, then I said to my producer, well, here's the third song. And he said, well, you know, this song kind of sucks. He goes, <laughs> he goes, I go, well, and he goes, well, he goes, I'll tell you what, I could like, I could like co-write it with you. I go, what's that? And he goes, well, that's where, you know, you wouldn't like pay me to co-write it or anything. We would just like co-write it. If you, if you want to pay me to produce it, like that's different. And I go, let's do it. So we, we what followed was a three year period of co-writing songs. And once we, I always had the other, had this, you know, deep seated belief that doing a record was impossible, not for other people that were talented or just for me. It was, I mean, you know, I told myself doing a song was impossible. And so once we got done with five songs, I asked him, how many songs are in a record typically? He goes, 10. And I thought, oh my God, we could do this. So over a three-year period, I just dug in and, and released my first record, Shine, in 2012. The universe kind of rewarded me in just contracting musicians to me. Um, my next songwriting collaborator, a guy named um, three-time Emmy-winning, Grammy-nominated songwriter Greg Barnhill out of Nashville. Um, and met him through my uncle, who's a big songwriter in Nashville. And Greg and I ended up writing 120 songs, and I released five more records in the last, in the next four years. So this was so awesome. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to the top of the music industry, just like I went to the top of the internet industry. And the universe was kind of like, <laughs> you know, it was, it was awesome. It was like so much fun to see creative visions come to life. But I have to be honest with you um, that in 2015, it was a very sobering and frankly depressing hard year for me because I realized that all the money that I put into self-financing these records, a lot of the money that I'd made in my years of inter the internet business, it was, I mean, I had these five, at that point, five records now, or, you know, four records and one EP, which is a shorter record. And I realized there was no momentum. And then 
that voice, you know, not the wanderer. So we'll go back to archetypal psychology for a second, because it's really interesting. And if you're into archetypal psychology, a great archetypal psychology book is called The Hero Within, The Hero Within, right? Um, but this other voice, they call it the warrior comes up. And the gift of the warrior is the warrior is that part of all people that, as the name indicates, it's that thing where you get eyebrows down, you're like, I'm going to do this. And you you get shit done, right? And that's awesome. It, it gets things done. It gets hard things done. But the shadow, you know, each archetype has a shadow side. And the shadow side of the warrior is self-criticism or criticism of others. And so in 2015, that warrior that was coming up five years earlier that told my wanderer to say, hey, you know, you just sit tight. We're finally doing well. Then that warrior came back in that shadow side in 2015 and was just like, I told you so. I told you this was a mistake. You moron. You know, it's just, it's not nice talk. So I spent a year really just doing a lot of personal growth work, reinvesting in that relationship with myself by attending a, and getting the specifics of a variety of seminars, reading books, going back to going internal to recalibrate that relationship that I had with myself. And I finally got back to being okay with me. I was like, Chris, you know, you didn't ruin your life. It's all part of the journey. You're going to figure it out. In my twenties, I was getting a master's in psychology because I always felt like in some ways, my destiny had something to do with being helpful to other people. I didn't finish that master's in my twenties. And so, I went back to get a full-time master's in psychology and counseling psychology in 2016 ended in 2018. I ended up, when you go to grad school in psychology, you can, in most grad school psychology programs, you can, they'll serve up a buffet of different things. You know, you can study Jungian, you can study parts therapy, family systems, and I really gravitated towards a thing called solution-focused brief therapy. And solution-focused brief therapy, it turns out, is an, is an evidence-based practice. Evidence-based practice. Well, what's an evidence-based? An evidence-based practice is something that's been found in clinical trials to actually help people as opposed to certain other uh, methods that are someone's opinion, not to say that they aren't good. It was just, it was interesting to me. And I also really liked solution focus without geeking out on it too much. Typical, a difference of a solution focused approach and many other typical approaches in psychotherapy is if a solution focused approach is very much focused in the present and the future as opposed to in the past. Uh, and one tactic, uh, a solution focused therapist or They've said that the entire coaching field is rooted in solution-focused brief therapy. And solution-focused brief therapy was inspired by so many psychological modalities, Milton Erickson, right? The, 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 the inspiration behind NLP. Yeah, Mandler and Grinder. Um, so one example of how a solution-focused therapist would approach someone's problem um, is let's say somebody came in and they were depressed. I mean, typically say, you know, therapists would say, well, 
okay, well, how long you felt depressed and did you feel depressed as a child? And what, what were the incidents and things that happened to you that might be contributing towards the depression? And, and you know, a lot of empathy, which is empathy is always good, right? <laughs> um, but one tactic in solution-focused land is to help the person think about, in this particular example, the moments when they're not feeling depressed or maybe the moments that they're feeling a little less depressed. Because usually, even if somebody's feeling tremendously depressed, there's usually little moments when they're either not or feeling a little better. So by asking certain intentional questions, getting them to think about those moments, really sort of linger on those moments, and then explore what is it about those moments that they think has them feel a little better. They could say, you know, well, you know, when I walk my dog, I feel a little better. Or when, I, when I'm writing, I feel a little better. And then setting goals for them, collaboratively setting goals so that they can maybe do those activities more on a day-to-day -day basis to feel better. So anyway, since um, 2018, I've been working uh, joint venture brokering and affiliate marketing lands in the past, still in my DNA. And I've been... Uh, seeing clients um, as a coach, as a therapist, as a consultant, and leading mental health trainings, uh, trainings related, related to solution-focused brief therapy. And um, yeah, we kind of do, a, in my 20s, I mentioned I did magic. And so I put together this workshop called Magic and Mastery, which is kind of fun. It's, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, let's, let's, take a look at all the crap that I might've left behind and let's see what, what's important to like integrate now. And so this workshop I do, Magic and Mastery, it's, there are seven ways in which a magician thinks. There are seven principles of magic. And once you understand these seven principles, you can under, unlock magical results in your life. So that was one workshop. And we do another workshop called the Magic of Solution Focused Brief Therapy, which is cool. It's like an eight hour deal. I mean, it's shorter, we can do shorter. And it's all about showing people tricks, talking about the, the um, principle and relating it to solution focused brief therapy. So yeah, that's, that's it, my friend. I mean, that's, that's the extent of the answer. So I didn't even talk about you being a magician. Uh, when we were at those dinners or even at the event that we were at, right? You and our friend Dan Armstrong were, were doing magic Armstrong. tricks. That was, yeah, and you're super good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So the sleight of hand is super sure, good I, I, to watch. I'm not no David Blaine or anything, but I like to get it's my It's legit. Slide. I mean, you're standing right there within a couple of feet of you, and you still can't figure it out. It's like, where, you know what I mean? So, yeah, you're, you, you've practiced well. And so, yeah, I just wanted to uh, commend you on, yeah, how good you are actually at being a magician. So a couple of things that, so as you were giving us that, that story, which was fantastic, I appreciate you going so far in depth couple of things and maybe we can get in to the question you you mentioned when you're going through your when you moved to santa fe about how the question of what do i want was like a big question or like an epiphany moment for you i struggle with that personally to be quite honest with you i struggle with the like you're talking about the little voices in your head saying you can't you shouldn't 
why would you all of that right so maybe that i just want to kind of put a pin in that maybe that's a kind of a, a little bit of a rabbit trail we can go down as well because i think i would number one get some benefit out of that based on your training but then also i think that would also help the audience but a couple other things you mentioned about momentum that's kind of the idea that i got with your momentum with the idea of stacking small wins right or seeing the small positive changes in people's lives instead of being caught like you said in the past whether you're looking at your entire past as being a negative experience or even your current, you know, bringing that into your present and do a, a negative experience. It's like, you're, you're trying to stack positive things. Am I seeing that? Or is that kind of what I'm hearing to, as far yeah, as how I you mean, help folks with your, as with your speaking? It reminds me of a one, I'm a big audible.com junkie. And it, it reminds me of a wonderful auto audible book I'm listening to right now. It's, um, Gosh, I can't remember if it's The Art of Impossible or Wild Problems, right? But uh, I think it's The Art of Impossible. Both are, both are great. And they talk about few things make people happier in this world than seeing progress, even small progress, towards a difficult goal that they're after that means something to them. You know, few things cause more feeling of satisfaction and few things are more discouraging than to see no momentum, no progress whatsoever. So um, you would ask me a question, um, you know, one, one of these questions, which is who has been, what was the first question? Who's been the biggest influence on your life? Yeah, and, and really I thought about it. And the first thing that came to my mind, because how could I choose? was it's not who, it's what has been the biggest influence. Hmm. And the biggest influence for me, that what has been a commitment to having a growth mindset. It's been, that's been the number one commitment to having a growth mindset. And the biggest challenge, and when I say growth mindset, I mean being committed to you know, realizing there's always something to learn and know. Um, and the biggest challenge I've had in my life is to shift from, to, to adopt an internal locus of control as opposed to an external locus of control. So an internal locus of control, so a technical term, it's a belief that my outcomes in this life are tied to things that are in my control, like my effort and my attitude, as opposed to external things. You know, certainly if really hard stuff happens, it, you know, it affects us, right? But just by having that belief, like that, that, then that challenge is to always go back to so how do i keep that how do i try to stay in that internal locus of control it's like it's like weeding a garden or something so how do i weed that garden and and constantly go back to what are the keys for me one in no particular order <clears throat> to take care of my health and wellness by being committed to a physical exercise program uh, another would be a simple exercise of being focused on gratitude and what went well, specifically, 
When I wake up in the morning, I'll either think to myself, uh, what are the three things I'm grateful for? Or if you want a little more structure, here's a killer little book on Amazon, The Five Minute Journal. And it, what does it have in there? It's got three lines for oh, what, am I, what am I grateful for? The next three lines are what would make today great. The next three, the next little section is your daily affirmation. And then at the end, you can put your highlights of the day and what did I learn today? So, and I periodically have used that versus thinking. But, you know, a simple one is at the end of the day, as I'm going to sleep, I think, I say, great job today. And I think, what are three things that went well? Literally, as I'm going to sleep. And I'll think, well, what else, what else went well? You know, and it could be, I could even be thinking of something that actually was really hard. But what I did well was I didn't get too upset about it or I recovered from it quickly. <laughs> um, and, um, and another would be just an attitude of focusing on my, the effort I put forward, rewarding myself for the effort I put forward and the time I spend committed to something rather than the results I get. Because I'm not in control always, like we're not in control of the results we get. And if I'm just focused on the results I get, that's what I was doing with my music. You know, I'd released five albums. I ended up releasing a sixth in grad school. My attitude was way sort of better about it at that point. Um, but if, but that's what I was doing with my records. I realized in 2015 as I was just focused on the results and the results didn't match what my expectation about what they would be. So if I can always remember to never forget, to focus on the effort and go back to that, that's a good thing. I love that. So in, in this podcast, and folks will know from hearing from me all the time, I'm always talking about taking control. And that's where the rich mind and even the title or the name of this uh, podcast came from. So it's taking control of people's finances, right? I think that's part of it. But I think the other part of it that a lot of folks don't talk about is the control of their mind. I'm I'm working on that every single day. I love the the tips that you gave because those are a little bit different even than what I do. But I would just wanted to reiterate that I do what you're saying very similarly. Meaning, I wake up, I try to wake up every day with thoughts of gratitude, right? Being grateful for your environment, being grateful, being able to sleep in a warm bed, you know, whatever it can be, the smallest things, but it's expressing that gratitude. And then I journal as well at that, that journal you showed, that was super cool. I'll have to check that one out. I just have a basic plain page journal where I just kind of get my thoughts out of my head in the morning, right? Kind of what do I need to do? Kind of how, you know, like you said, almost celebrate what you did the day before. If you're struggling totally. with anything. Yeah. Those are the things I do as well. And then I also, as you mentioned, I tried to have a, at the end of the day, kind of a thought process as I go to sleep. Once again, it's gratitude. I like using the words I am. So it's like, I am grateful or I am happy or I am healthy or I am right. And so then you plug in however yeah. you want to finish those phrases, but it's just totally. that feeling uh, puts me in a good place as I fall off to sleep. So that way I can begin my next day uh, ready to go. Right. So I love that you went there as well. That's super cool. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard that, um, I don't know the psychology behind it, that whatever you say after the words, I am gets linked to your identity. So creating, you know, three to five, I am statements that become mantras or incantations or whatever can be powerful. 
and yeah. it, it's yours, right? You, no one even needs to know that you're even doing them, right? It's just in your own mind and in your own thoughts. I mean, and another thing that's so important for me is to have, it's like birds of a feather flock together, you know, to have a community, even if that means one or two close friends that have a growth mindset, that have your back, that you can be completely and totally authentic with and not feel like you're going to be judged and they're, you're going to be accepted and friends that help you, they see you as your highest self and they help promote you being your higher self. And sometimes that means tough love, but you know, you know it when you have it and it's so important. There's a great book, uh, by Napoleon Hill. You know, of course, uh, Napoleon Hill's most famous book, Thinking Grow Rich. I think it's called Conversations with the Devil. I don't know if you've heard, have you heard of this I one? Have. It, the yeah, title yeah, is yeah. Actually, the title is actually Outwitting the Devil, but it's, there it is. yeah, yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I have it actually by my, by my chair out in the living room. Yeah, I actually heard that Napoleon Hill, because he came from, uh, I think, a religious family, that he waited until after he had died or maybe all of his relatives had died because of the, the premise of the book, you know, you've read it or reading it, um, is all about a conversation that he's having with the devil and the devil saying, hey man, you know, that's great if you're doing all that stuff you talked about in Think and Grow Rich, but I've got these 31 things that, that I can do to fuck you up. And here they are, <laughs> right? And right. one of them, and one of them is to isolate people. Uh, let's say you have a growth mindset, you're doing all the stuff, but you're doing your gratitude thing. But it's like, just in the framework of this book is to isolate that person. But that when the power of when you, as a person, let's say with a growth mindset, you're doing all this stuff, right? You connect with a like-minded person or a like-minded community, then, you know, it's like game over for the devil yeah or it's, it's, it's yeah. game over for your depression or it's game over for and, and it's just so it's like one plus one equals 11 with connecting people i love that too so jim Rohn always talks about associations right and i talk about that a lot and that's been a big transformation for myself is as i started to associate as you said with like-minded folks growth-minded folks it really just changes your whole dynamic to a, you start to believe think act accomplish so many things in a relatively short period of time. And it's really just as simple as finding those groups of people that can can support you. Tough love at times, but then support you and encourage you to keep moving forward when things may not be feeling like it's going the way you want it to. That's so important. Totally, totally. That's cool. So let's pivot a little bit and talk about challenges. I know, yeah. So one of the second question is what's been- you got 10 hours. Biggest, Say again? I said, you got 10 hours talking no, about we got all, Yeah, we got all kinds of time, right? But so the second question I always ask is what's been your biggest challenge and what have you learned from it? So I'm curious if you have a specific uh, answer that for that one, but I would love for you to go into this most recent challenge, that this physical challenge that you did with your Mount Everest climb. As okay. As, um, yeah, yeah but, I would so love for you to uh, talk I, about that. One record, I did not actually climb Mount Everest. I, but, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, give details know, of what that was because that, that was so, so cool uh, when I was watching basically, it. Basically, there's a really amazing company. This is going to be a shameless plug for them. It's called 292029. That's the height of Mount Everest, Everesting. So 29029 Everesting. And what this is, is this is an uh, ultra 
endurance challenge that you can sign up for. And they usually sell out in like 18 seconds all year. And ironically, they just did it this morning for the whole year today. Um, and it gives people the opportunity to climb the equivalent vertical climb, uh, vertical feet of Mount Everest, not at Mount Everest. I did it at the Whistler Ski Resort about eight weeks ago. And so uh, ended up climbing um, the 29,200 feet, actually 29,029 feet. Actually at this event, it's actually a little higher than Everest. We climbed 31,200 feet. 31,200 feet in um, 31.2 miles. And I completed that in 30.75 hours um, and got a couple, two, two and a half hours sleep. So the takeaway from that is not to, you know, brag, you know, I did this thing. I mean, it's, it's cool, right? It's, it's fun to sort of talk about. But I think the takeaway for this podcast is well, one, why did I, I'm not an endurance athlete. I ran a 5k once I did. Uh, I mean, I love, always loved going to the gym and in CrossFit, but no 5k one time. Uh, I had an ex-girlfriend like 10 years ago and I ran, she was a marathon runner. I, I ran eight miles with her. I was literally in bed for a week, you know? <laughs> and so about this time last year, um, I remember a buddy of mine, a fellow kind of growth mindset, childhood buddy, and we're sharing audible books and talking about growth. And he sends me this book called The Comfort Crisis. The Comfort Crisis. It's a great book. It's all about, you know, being comfortable is awesome, right? But sometimes, like, we can get too comfortable. And sometimes, like, when we consciously invite something really hard into our life, um, it can, that's important to us. That's, that's not, it has to be really hard. It has to be on the edge of our capabilities. This can bring a real sense of mission, purpose, satisfaction, confidence into our lives. And the, the term that he coins in the book, I'm like shamelessly plugging everybody here, but it's deserved. It's called Masoji and a Masoji. So Masoji is a Japanese word that, that signifies that consciously inviting something really difficult into your life every year doesn't have to be a physical challenge, but physical is perfect. Um, and in order for it to qualify as a Masoji, there has to be a 50-50 chance that you would fail. Mm -hmm. So if you choose something that's like there's an 80% chance that you would succeed, like that's great. It might be something really hard, but it's not a Masoji. So we're reading this book like Masoji. So I'm on the lookout for this Masoji. Like let's do something really hard. And I don't know, maybe the Google bots were listening to me. I saw an ad on Facebook, <laughs> right? And I sent it to him and he's like, oh, this looks awesome. I was like, damn it. Now we have to do this. I was like, yeah, I do So we signed up and um, went through kind of the, it was 20 weeks of event specific training. Like I said, I'm, I'm not an endurance, I, now I'm an endurance athlete, but it was a whole new world of get on the treadmill at 15 degree, you know, 15 degree incline for an hour or two hours. And six to seven weeks out on Saturdays, we get, you know, four hours, six hour, eight hour, and even 12 hour workouts. But, you know, it was doable. It wasn't running. It was just hiking and take a little break and do some box step up. So it's, it's all doable. So what I learned 
the takeaway from that, um, a number of things that I learned. One is looking back, like I was expecting things to be too easy prior to this event. I noticed that there are things that I gave up on doing that there were things that I didn't continue to lean into to get those things done because my brain is like, oh, is this too hard? Well, after doing that hike, which believe me, I mean, that hike, that event is really a personal growth event that masks itself as a physical challenge. But believe me, it's challenging, more challenging than pretty much anything I've done physically. Um, so, so I realized that I, I, I sort of not leaned into and been as gritty as I could have been to get some stuff done. I viscerally realized that so many things are possible, but they take longer than I think they might take. So to stick with it. And I learned like, it's the difference between type one and type two fun. See, I didn't even know what, you know what those terms mean? Type no, one. Okay, exactly. See, I didn't know yeah. what those terms meant last year. Okay. So type one fun, you look up, you type it into Google, it'll be right there, right? So type one fun, it's like stuff that's fun while you're doing it. And it's fun afterwards. It's like eating a great meal, uh, whatever it is for you. Netflix, going to Aruba, it's fun while you're doing it. Now type two fun is not as not fun typically while you're doing it. It actually can feel brutal and really hard, but like a like a really long hike or some massive challenge of let's say building a woodshed with just one other people and lifting things and just like some 16 hour dates. So type two funny, it doesn't feel good when you're doing, but when you're done with it, it has this unique feeling of satisfaction. Type two fun. So there's another thing I got out of this event, which was like, wow, this, you know, that's kind of like why I like CrossFit or weightlifting. Cause it's like, gave me a little taste of type two fun. Well, now I'm like, okay, well, what's the next Masoji for next year? How else can I lean into some type two fun? And then I start thinking about things like things. I start to give a mindset shift, which is like things that are hard are fun. You know, because I'm going to get this dopamine hit later. And then I find myself writing down things on post-its and putting them on my desk, like mm. seek discomfort. How can I, you know, like doing rucking. I don't know if you're familiar with rucking, you know, is hiking with a weighted backpack. Yeah. My son does CrossFit. So I, I'm familiar with. with yeah, there you go. And yeah. So I got a go ruck and I've had like a dude, you know, go ruck with, you know, 35 pounds in it. And, and then after this event, I'm like, well, how can I make this more challenging? So I just got another 20 pound plate. It'll be, it'll be good. You know, like, so that's been a big mindset shift um, in terms of going through something like this. But an important part is not alone, being connected to a community of people. So like what I would say, it's like, it's, you know, it's like Tony Robbins, right? The great, the, the six human needs. Certainty, uncertainty, love, connection, significance, growth, and contribution, right? That's 
Tony Robbins 101. You go to date with destiny, you're going to learn that. So, but it's like um, love and connection, one of the six human needs. So if you can lean into doing something hard, not impossible, but just like on the edge of your capability, either physical or it could be, heck, it could be writing a book. Then if you can go on that journey, that misogy with other people, it's, it'll, it'll kind of like pull you and carry you through. And that's what I found and bring a lot of joy. That's fantastic. So was this a conscious decision, the seeking discomfort? So it's like, was it after the event, you had like a conscious moment where you'd like, like an aha type of type of thing that happened to you that, that made you then start to look for these things now? You know, I think that the, this journey or thinking about this in this way started by reading the comfort crisis. And it was like about this notion that being, getting too comfortable can be sort of like you can you can recapture this passion for life by leaning into doing something hard that was it then it was let's find a misogy and let's let's see how this is let's test this thing and then it was being connected to a community of people that were had also signed up that were going on this journey through the intranet uh community and through the monthly the week bi-weekly coaching calls and the training program i you know my buddy sam from he's from portland and we trained from a distance, but, you know, we're sharing our workouts. Hey dude, you know, just did, you know, this many box step ups and did this. And, and so it's just sort of a mindset of, you know, leaning into this type two fun. And I was just noticing that it would just gave me a feeling of aliveness. And I also liked that there were different levels of difficulty of training. It wasn't some abusive thing. So, you know, I'll share one other thing uh, about this, which is kind of, anyway, we, we get to Whistler for this event. This happened, it was literally like six weeks ago. I can, I'm just starting to feel my, the bottoms of my feet again. I got a little bit of numbness still, but uh, you get there and the event is from six o'clock in the morning until six, six o'clock sat Friday morning to 6 p.m. Saturday afternoon. It's a 36 hour window to complete 29,029 feet of vertical climb. That's how this event is different because every other uh, ultra endurance event that I know of is measured on distance and this is measured on climb. And of course you got the okay. sexy hook of, you know, it's the equivalent of Mount Everest. And, um, but in order to complete that task for this particular event and they do it on six mountains, you have to, uh, or you get to, uh, <laughs> ascend Whistler eight times. So each time you ascend Whistler is 3,900 feet, uh, a vertical climb and 3.9 miles. And then you get a little break because you take the gondola down. So there's no downhill, which is nice. And I started at six o'clock in the morning with everybody else with our headlamps on and got Eminem, lose yourself playing. And the guy's like talking about, we're just so pumped up. And I just zoom up the mountains so in two hours, which, you know, one guy was like, man, you just got up here faster than 90% of everybody. I was like, feel my ego. Like, oh yeah, I got this. So I'm coming up ascent two, And all of a sudden my legs seize up like cramping, like you wouldn't believe. And now I'm mentally freaking out. Like Randy, 
I could, like, I have to, I mean, I, you know, I could, I was thinking, okay, you've told everyone, you know, you're doing this. How embarrassing is this going to be? Oh, I completed two out of eight ascents, right? People are like, I'm telling people like, dude, you need to drink pickle juice and eat potato ju chips, pickle juice and potato chips, or pickle juice and potato chips. Right? They're like, yeah, pickle juice. They, they, they have it at the top. So they had these aid stations, you know, where they wanted you to eat like for men, 200, about three to 400 calories an hour. Don't quote me something like that. You have to be eating that every hour for 36 hours if it took you that long and pickle juice and potato chips. So I get to the top of, I'm going to kind of speed up the, the story on this one, but I get to the top of, I slowly just suffered my way to the top of the second one. And sure enough, there's this big five gallon thing of pickle juice and it's disgusting. I'm drinking it, eating <laughs> chips and, and I get down to the bottom and I meet this guy at the bottom, uh, this guy named Oli. And I was like, Hey man, listen, I'm going to be going really slow. I'm freaking out. I, you know, cause people are saying, look, Two, you don't want to be doing two hours. You need to be going three hours, three hour laps. So the takeaway is the takeaway for me was slow is fast. I think the, the, the seals have a saying about that. It's like, I don't even know what it is, but it's like fast is slow, slow is steady or something like that. And so slowly this guy, Oli and I, we went at a very slow pace. And whereas during the first ascent, in the dark when we're all kind of packed together 330 participants it's not a race it's a big huge aspect of this it's not a race it's like goes back to focus on your effort not your achievement yeah you want to finish maybe all eight but for some people some person they want to finish four it's all about leaving it all on the mountain so the metaphor for life is whatever i'm doing it's like whatever you however you do one thing is how you do everything so whatever i'm doing just focus on giving 100%. So anyway, we, this guy Oli and I go slow and steady up the third one. I think we get there at 10, 15 in the morning, have a hot breakfast. So they have this, like there's always food at the aid station. They have a hot breakfast time period at the lodge. And that cut off at 10.30 a.m. So we're like, dude, we got to get up here before 10.30 a.m. And we get up there at 10, 10 15. And I'm like high-fiving this guy. And like, like we really bonded, you know, like, and we have in the hot lunch. I'm like, Oli, listen, let's let's do this again. He goes, Chris, you know, I I want to, but I, my stomach is killing me. I can't. He goes, I got to go. They have this like recovery aid station thing where you can get seen. He goes, I have to. I was like, Are you sure? Because I'm thinking this guy's like my rabbit foot here. You know, I gotta stay with this guy. But I, I also this other voice was like, Don't slow down. So I jump in the gondola. I thought it was there alone in the gondola. And I jump in and there's this, and there's a guy in there. And I, you know, sort of a standard question that I would ask a few times. Hey, have you done this before? He goes, yeah. And everybody on the event gets a white jersey. Okay. But if you've done the event more than four times, you get a black jersey. And this guy, his name is Zebley. It turns out he done, this was his 10th time doing it. And they had talked about him the night before. I was like, dude, you're a legend. So I go, and I started just picking his brain. And he's like, He's like, look, you just want to go slow. He goes, and you got to drink your pickle juice. And he, he, I, don't, I don't know, potato chips. He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, pickle juice. So he goes, like, here's what you want to do. He goes, you're in great shape. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. And he goes, because it's 2.30 and you just completed three. Because what you want to do is you want to get your fourth one before dinner. 
If you can, get up to the top at 6 p.m. After your dinner, get your fifth one. It's a total of eight, remember? So after dinner, get your fifth one. He goes, then you're going to be really tired. He goes, but if you can just get your sixth one today, you're going to set yourself up beautifully for tomorrow because then you'll just have until 6 p.m. to get two of them. And so Oli and I, sure enough, got to the top of the fourth one at 6 p.m., high-fived, had our hot dinner, started our uh, fifth ascent uh, at 7, 7.15, got up to the top at 10.30 in about three hours, three hours and 15 minutes. You tend to go slower as the longer you go. Sure. About 10.30, we get to the top. I said, Oli, man, now we've done five. And I'm thinking about what Zebley said. And I said, what do you say? We do one more and just get six. He's like, Chris, I can't, you know, it's like my, my stomach or whatever. I think that's what it was. So I went to the bottom. When you get to the bottom, you brand the board. They have this big branding board and you brand it, you know, with this little symbol. And they put little X's on your, your jersey to track your progress, right? And so at 11 o'clock at night, for the first time, I... Um, Put on, I have this iPod mix. I have it. It's called Up Up. I have two. One's called Up Up Up. The other one's called Running. I hate running, but you know, like, and I put it on. I remember it started with Sublimes, what I got. I got a lot of Rolling Stones in there. And for the first, and it's it's really easy to be in a good mood at the bottom of this journey because you just rested for 20 minutes. They're serving cup of noodle soup at the top. So you're eating that, you're getting nourished. You probably use the porta potty. You just eat. It's it's gentle. It's easy. So I'm just thinking, oh, this is great. And all these motivational sayings, like you know, I get to do this. And oh, this is so awesome. And but I kept cruising. And you go into this deep forest. It's like I don't know if you saw Lord of the Rings. It's like the Fangorn Forest. It's this beautiful forest at Whistler. You get into it. And every 500 feet you gain in elevation, it'll have a big flag on the side. It'll say 500. And it's nice. Say, I just did 500, but at the same time, when you see 500, you're thinking, it's 3,900 feet per ascent. You're thinking, <laughs> I got 3,400 to go. And it kept going. You're kind of like hiking from aid station to aid station. And they'll have like water at some, and they'll have like snacks at the other. And it was about 1245 at night. Now I'd been on my feet for almost 17 hours. And I was starting, I noticed I was starting to get go to sleep on my feet. You know, I was like literally hiking, thinking, oh, my God, like I could literally go to sleep mid-stride. Like it got me a little nervous. Now, at the beginning of the event, the previous morning, all those headlamps, it's like a daisy chain of lights. Like you look behind you and it's just like this endless. But as the event goes on, especially at one o'clock, you, you don't see anybody. And I saw this head, this headlamp up there it wasn't moving. And I go up to this guy and he's an older guy. And he's leaned over his hiking poles. And, and you tell him what you want written on your jersey. Like for me, it just said Chris. And then on his jersey, it said bartender. And I was like, hey, man, what's your name? He goes, Bart. He goes, short for bartender. I go, hey. I go, hey, Bart, how you doing, man? He goes, I'm hurting, brother. And I can't remember like what I said to him. I said something encouraging. I knew it was going to be okay. Um, you know, they light, they have these little LED lights every 500 yards or something. So I kept going. And Got past the 2,500 flag. I got to the 3,000 flag. Now, the 3,000 flag is really cool because you know I only have 900 more feet to climb on this. Right at the 3,000 flag. And all of a sudden, I see behind me this headlamp that's coming fast, real fast. 
And I look up and it's Zebley, Mr. Ted Time. He goes, Chris, you're still going. I was like, yeah, man, taking your advice. And, you know, just this cool little cosmic, nobody else around, one o'clock in the morning. You know, then it might be for 17 hours. Because um, it wasn't 17 hours, six to six. Um, uh, 19 hours, rather. Yeah, I've been on my feet for 19 hours. So I get to the top at 2 o'clock in the morning, finished Ascent 6, got to my room at 2.30, went to sleep at 3, got up at 5.30, did my last two ascents. And so one takeaway from that, it's just it's cool. It's like hopefully you could see yourself there a little bit. I could. One cool takeaway of it is this notion of running your own race, you know, in life that I have to remind me myself of how did, so like, it was like during the first ascent, one thing I forgot to mention was when they corralled us all up to the starting line, they said, um, look, you know, certain whispers in the, you know, whispers in the crowd. Hey, if you're really fast, get in front. That made sense. And I looked at my buddy, Sam, and I was like, well, dude, you know, we're not endurance people. Let's let 50 people go ahead. <laughs> What I didn't realize, I don't know statistically how many people are former marathon runners, triathletes, or Ironman competitors. Uh, you know, I have no idea of how many, but I think it was more than 50. You know, And there were 80-year-olds and 70-year-olds. There were all kinds of people. But point being is we put ourselves a little, for me, a little further in the crowd than I ahead, which meant that as we were hiking up the first ascent, these people right on my tail and my ego didn't like the, you know, my ego was like, do not let this person pass you, you know? And I was like, you don't want to fall behind. So that's why I got up there in two hours. And on the second ascent, before my legs started cramping, my ego, once again, I was thinking it's little voice was like, you can't fall behind. Don't let these people pass you. There's no way. And it was almost like a vibration of like shame, like if they pass me. But after I had a dose of, you know, reality and a PhD in pickle juice, <laughs> I was like, then on the third ascent, I was like, you know what? Let's flip the script. If somebody wants to pass and I see them coming up, stop, get my breath, let them pass, run. That was just a big takeaway. And so now it's kind of like, okay, if I'm doing something and it's not going, um, you know, I get cramp up metaphorically and I have to stop, take a deep breath and get through this. So anyway, brother, there's the, that's the, that's the 292029 Eversting uh, mega plug for them. But it was a hell of an experience and I can't wait to figure out the next Masoji, both physical Masoji and uh, professional Masoji. So I'm on the lookout now. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear what that is as well. I was following you as you went through this. You were posting your experience online or on Facebook as you were going through that. And I was following you as you were, I made the first ascent or made the third, right? I don't think I was up at one in the morning as you were making your sixth, but at the same time, it was super cool to keep an eye on you and have, for you to have those takeaways. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's, that's cool that you were following it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate you sharing those stories. Like, vicariously feel this guy suffer. <laughs> no, that's just super cool that you actually accomplished such a huge, huge thing. So, folks, 
hopefully you found value in this conversation. I knew Chris was going to bring it as far as the conversation, the stories, the the content, the messaging, the the book recommendations, all of the things that we've gone through in this episode. You're going to want to rewind, play this a few times, uh, take some notes. This was packed full of nuggets of wisdom that you're going to be able to take and apply in your life uh, moving forward that I think can be a significant impact. So Chris, if folks are out there, it's like, all right, I need to get to know this Chris guy. He talks about his music. He talks about his uh, different uh, ways of, of going to business and that kind of thing. What what are the best places for, for sure? To get sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I selectively take on new therapy slash coaching clients, and uh, if we work together, it's going to feel like coaching. Believe me. Uh, but really, you know, helping people, like I said, break through whatever barriers they're having and fulfill their potential. Another way of saying it's just to get from where they are to where they want to go. And if you want to learn more about that, you want to schedule a call with me, go to uh, chrischickering.com. See, it's my name, C-H-R-I-S-C-H-I-C-K-E-R-I-N-G.com. And if you want to learn more about my music, we've got uh, six records out there. There, My music is uh, produced with musicians from the Eagles, Crosby, Stills & Nash, James Taylor, all Nashville studio guys. And it's, if you're into personal growth, you know, or lyrics of hope, healing, and empowerment, sounds a little like Cat Stevens or John Cougar a little bit, uh, you go to chrischickeringmusic.com. If you run an event that's related to psychology, wellness, spirituality, empowerment, or, you know, raising uh, awareness about a cause, I'd love to talk about the possibility of having me speak and or sing at your uh, event. So that would be a lot of fun. So that one is chrischickeringmusic.com. And my email is hello at chrischickering.com. So Randy, thank you, brother. This has been yeah. a lot of fun. This is, has been a lot of fun. I knew this was going to be a great conversation uh, before we hit record, and I just knew that it was going to be a lot of fun. So I appreciate you coming on. So folks, go out there. We'll have all those links in the show notes as far as to get a hold of Chris, and I highly recommend you do so. Uh, take him up on his consultation and get to know him a little bit better. See if he might be able to help you bridge that gap from where you are now to where you want to be in the future. And it sounds like from all of his experience, he's going to definitely be able to pour into you with a ton of wisdom, some tactical experiences, and some things that you can go implement in a relatively short period of time to start seeing some significant changes in your life moving forward. So as I've said, hopefully you found value in this conversation today, and I look forward to bringing back the next episode here very soon. Until then, bye now. Thank you for joining me on the Rich Mind Podcast. I hope you found a ton of value in this episode. If so, I'd really appreciate a five-star review. And you can also share it with your family and friends. And as my mentor, Jim Roden, shared with me, in order to have more, you must first become more. And in order to become more, you must work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So go out there today and work harder on yourself to become more and build the life of your dreams. Until next time, my friends.